Hello. Hello. Back by popular demand. <laughs> it's Katie. And it's Emily. And this is Bible Priest. Welcome Yay. back. We are still in our Attributes of God study as we study theology as a whole. We have been in the non-communicable attribute Incommunicable, list. technically. Also non-communicable. It's also non-communicable. <laughs> Sorry. Incommunicable, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it has definitely been really cool to dwell on these attributes of God that we don't share. You know, they, they're just His. And we're kind of going through a little bit of a transition now that we're at the end of that list and getting into the communicable attributes. As we were talking the other day when I when I was talking to you about the lesson, Emily, like we're talking about holiness today. And I had asked Emily when she told me about our topic this week, like, does that fall under incommunicable? Because we're called to be holy. And you had a good response to that. You want to share with the class? Sure. Um, well, I don't know if this is a good response or not. So I might have some. It was thoughtful. Yeah, at least I thought about it. So that's good. Give me points for that. <laughs> But I was thinking about how this is probably a good way to kind of segue into the communicable attributes, because in my mind, at least, I think God's holiness is obviously communicable in the aspects that he commands us to be holy on the basis of his holiness and the ability that he gives us to be holy. But the nature of holiness is that it's like completely set apart from sin, right? So there's an aspect of our lives where that's not fully the case yet since we're still sinners and we still fall into sin. And praise God, we don't have to fall into sin anymore. We now have the power to say no once we're saved. We can deny sin and we can deny the flesh, which is something that we couldn't do before we were saved, but we still do fail a lot in that. And so I think that was kind of my thought was like, well, maybe this can be our way of like kind of transitioning a little bit into the communicable attributes because we're talking about holiness and righteousness next well, maybe not next week, in a couple of weeks, probably. And we'll probably make holiness two parts because of how intensive it's going to be. <laughs> we hope it will be intensive. Yeah. <laughs> we think it's intensive, <laughs> so it's enough for us to do it two episodes. Yeah. It's a big topic for sure. And so that's just kind of my opinion. If there's some theological implications to me saying that that are incorrect or, you know, whatever, just let me know. I'd love to hear your perspective on that because that's just kind of where I've landed but I would love to hear any different opinions or thoughts on that as well. So I don't want to hear any different opinions. Just yeah, talk just to Emily. tell me. Don't talk to <laughs> If it's worthwhile, she'll tell me. She's my filter. I'm too tired. <laughs> I do have like too many patient complaints oh, no. already. <laughs> yeah, she's got this well, passive-aggressive way of dealing with those. I'm just kidding. You can talk to me too, because everyone should be able to talk to anybody in the body of Christ about their concerns. And yeah, Katie. We're here for you, bro. <sighs> but yes, it does seem, in my mind anyway, that seems to make a lot of sense where holiness and then our next attribute, which is righteousness, righteousness kind of falls in the same line as this one, where it's like there's a bridge that is spanning this valley that we cannot cross, right? The attributes of God that we'll never have, like omniscience and mm -hmm. sovereignty and, you know, omnipresence. And then you have on our side, the attributes of God that he gave us, like creativity and love and different things like that. But then almost as like a bridge spanning that chasm 
are, I think, holiness and righteousness because on the one side of that bridge where you're leaving the incommunicable attribute side, it's like the actual representation of these things in their purest form, which is what God is. And then as you cross over to the communicable side, it's like these are ones that as we reflect them as humans, we do it imperfectly, Mm -hmm. right? But we're able to reflect them to a certain extent. We can never reflect omnipresence, even imperfectly, right? We're not everywhere. We just aren't. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. What Mm -hmm. a mess that would be. (laughs) So, you know, this is something that God alone possesses is omnipresence, yet he allows us to reflect some of his attributes imperfectly. And I think holiness and righteousness, I think that makes sense where they're kind of like, the two that kind of span that a little bit. And they're just a helpful way for us to think about it. I mean, if you don't like that, you just throw it out the window. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> just don't hit anybody when you throw it out. The <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think too, it's good to remember that obviously we are not at the end of the list of who God is. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, this is just a, a short little list that has been compiled over the years by people whose shoulders we stand on, you know, and mm. I'm really thankful for them. And it's just, they're based upon scripture, but again, like we do not have infinite minds, so we can't understand an infinite God. So yeah. that's just good to remember to be humble about. Let's say you memorize all the all the doctrines, you know, you're still not completely understanding God yet. So I mean, not that we ever will, because he's infinite, you know? Yeah, there's that. Yeah, so for sure, just it's it's good to again keep this attitude of humility on and remember that. Mm. We need to try to learn as much about God as we can, but we're never going to really do more than skim the surface, (laughs) really, as far as I can tell. So, And that's exciting to me, too. Yeah, very true. And we want to get into holiness and really spend on our first episode time just really contemplating what holiness is, as well as how God reflects that, because... I feel like as a culture, and we talk a lot about our culture here in Western the U.S. because that's where we are and that's what we're mostly exposed to. But I do think that people kind of coming out of a more rigid, more legalistic, some would call it, mindset that potentially our parents were raised with. You know, a lot of people had that experience where that pendulum swung the other way. And now we see a very casual Jesus, right? We Mm -hmm. see a very holes in your jeans at church with your coffee in your hand. And I'm not coming in saying like, these are against God's word. I think that, you know, there are opportunities for us here to go based on convictions and comfort level for those things. I don't see verses that reference whether or not you can drink coffee in church. Okay. (laughs) You are for that uh, also. (laughs) I am actually very much for (laughs) drinking coffee in church. How are you supposed to hear the the word and understand it and apply it if you're asleep? Exactly. (laughs) But I do think that what's really interesting about our culture and the one that I was kind of raised into as an adult where I've seen this in my peers, where they have this very free, casual relationship where they just kind of feel like Jesus can just sign off on anything they do and their standards are very lax and they're just like, well, we're in the age of grace, so we don't really need to try. We can just kind of do whatever we want. And I I just want to say that like holiness is not an attribute we spend a lot of time with. Okay. I don't I don't know of anyone personally who has just really sat in this attribute and just absorbed it and come to an appropriate understanding of God's holiness, because frankly, it makes us uncomfortable. And I think that 
if we can push through that and remind ourselves who we are really in our sin and who God is really in his holiness, then that doesn't bring about despair. That brings about incredible humility and appreciation for what God's done and thankfulness and all these things that are appropriate. Whereas not understanding the holiness of God has really negative consequences on our spiritual Mm -hmm. lives. And I don't think that I've ever studied holiness to the extent I should. I don't think we're going to today in this podcast, but it's worth an entire episode where we just talk about what holiness is, how God is that, what that looks like. And then hopefully we'll have at least a part two. I mean, I don't know, maybe even a part three where we talk about how we're called to be holy and to reflect that imperfectly from a holy God. And so this is a very important topic. It is worthy of us taking time in it. And so that's why we're here. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our dive into doctrine with Emily. Cue the music. Here's that holy organ. I don't know if it's holy or not. The holy organ. But Emily, take it away. All right. Well, let's start off with a definition because those are helpful. Mm. Um, Berrickman, our friend from before. Oh, buddy Berrickman. <laughs> In his book, Practical Christian Theology, he described holiness as the quality of being set apart. And then later, this quality makes God to be distinctive from the universe and to be separate from sin. This is a very important distinction to make, is that God is not the universe. You know, you hear people say that a lot. Like, we can kind of poke fun at this sometimes, but people actually do believe that. They're like, wow, the universe did this for me. And God is not the universe. The universe can't do anything for you. So, Mm -hmm. Except keep doing what God told it to do. As he sustains it, (laughs) (laughs) as he makes it do it. Yep. If God was not holding everything together, it would just be mass chaos. Colossians Mm -hmm. 1, I think, Mm -hmm. talks about that. So that's important to remember. He's distinctive from the universe and he is separate from sin. So yeah, set apart as holiness. So I've heard it quoted. I think Pastor Strope from Ankeny Baptist Church said one time when he was speaking at my school that every believer to some degree is a separatist because of that. So that may sound inflammatory to you, but if you think about it from the perspective of we are trying to be separate from sin, we are separatists from sin as much as we can be. And when you're separating from something, you are running towards something else, right? So hopefully running to God away from sin and pursuing Mm -hmm. holiness Mm -hmm. in that way. So just kind of a fun thought. Isaiah 6 is a very important passage when it comes to God's holiness. This is one we often go to when we think about holiness, at least Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So this passage is really sobering to think about because Isaiah is seeing the Lord in his glory in the throne room of heaven. 
his train is filling the temple. That's like a sign of royalty, right? It's like having the, mm-hmm. the big train mm-hmm. on your robe. He's sitting on the throne. He is surrounded by these, you know, these sinless beings who cannot get over his holiness. He's so much greater than them. God's perfection, his lack of sin. He's just perfect in every single way. And like even these beings who are perfect are amazed by that. And they don't get tired of proclaiming the Lord's holiness. I guess the distinction here that we can make that's important because you're right. Like the seraphim are sinless, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not they're not flying around God saying, you're sinless, you're sinless. And that's why they're worshiping him because they also are sinless. Mm-hmm. So it's more than that. It's the idea of just not only being completely separated from sin, but also the idea about being completely set apart. There is absolute just purity about him. There is mm-hmm. absolute separateness from him. He's not like anything else. Nothing else is like him in that regard, right? That he is completely holy. And they are praising him as God, but the way they're praising him is by saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just the idea of these terrifying creatures. And we know this whole scene is terrifying because of what Isaiah does later in the passage, right? Like he is completely overcome by what he's seeing in heaven. And he responds the way we would respond in that moment where he just is like falling down. Like, yeah. uh, you know, who am I? Like, I I am completely destitute. Not only am I a man of unclean lips, but I live among people who are unclean. And I've seen God now, the Lord of hosts. Like, there is such a wonderful reaction from him when he sees who God really is. God in his element. So well, to speak. And think about how striking that is to him. I mean, like we had been saying before, too, like when you compare yourself to people, you don't look that bad. You know, like, well, you know, I'm not Hitler, so I'm good. Right. But Hitler is not the standard. And when you look at God and you see his holiness, which we obviously can't see God yet, but when Isaiah saw him, he was overcome with his own sin. Like he just realized, wow, I am very sinful. Mm. And the people I live with are very sinful. And woe is me because of that. So he's overcome with who God is and just getting to see him face to face is amazing. Mm. It's very important because we we don't see anything on earth that is God in person in complete and perfect holiness, right? Like we don't experience that. We see flashes of it sometimes and the way he's working in someone's life or when we're reading scripture. But I just want you to sit here and imagine yourself in the throne room of God and imagine yourself experiencing the things that Isaiah experienced here and seeing God high and lifted up in this incredible temple that he's in in heaven. And he's wearing a robe, a train that completely fills this giant space. I mean, just think of the majesty. Like when I think of a train, I think of the United Kingdom, you know, and their monarchy. And and when Elizabeth II, like footage of her getting coronated or Victoria, some movies they've made about her coronation or Diana and Charles, their wedding. Like you see these beautiful pictures of people walking up these grand steps and they have giant gowns with long trains or they're wearing robes with long trains. And you know, there's a majesty about that. There's a grandeur. There's there's this idea of they are completely different from everyone else who's there. They've been given a special position. They have special authority. Others are there to honor that. 
And, you know, if you take away all those trappings, like who they are doesn't change. It's not like they're the queen because they're wearing the right clothing, right? (laughs) Like they were born to it and it's their birthright and it's something that like their nations have put into law, et cetera. You know, all these different reasons why that's the case, right? I mean, I'm not saying like you need to be a monarchist or something like that. (laughs) Like I'm just talking about like (laughs) these examples we have on earth of what this kind of looks like in a way that we are seeing God as a complete ruler over everything. He is the king, is what's said of him here in this passage. He is the Lord of hosts. And the idea of hosts being used there as just, you know, all this incredible amount of people and groups of angels and the things that he rules in heaven, it's just incredible. I mean, the earth is just such a small portion of what God has created from what we can see and understand. I mean, the universe is still being explored. We're still trying to find the edges of it. You know, we're not going to find it, (laughs) but that's still happening. So you just think about who God is and you sit here in a passage like this to really understand it because we just have no frame of reference. As you said, like we compare ourselves to other people when we try to see if we're holy or not. We don't compare ourselves to this. Yeah. And that's really what we should be doing. That's when we will see a more accurate view of ourselves too. Mm. I think it's interesting too, because he, he doesn't talk about like, it's not like a self-esteem issue here. You know, it's just, he's seeing himself accurately and he's devastated because he knows he doesn't meet the mark. He knows he can never be holy enough on his own merit. Interestingly enough, later on in the chapter too, one of the angels comes up and has like a burning coal. And he touches it to Isaiah's lips and says, like, you have been cleansed, basically. And that's just like a picture of salvation, right? Like when we get saved, we are then cleansed. It's nothing that we do for ourselves. It's all God. And I think the more we know God, the more we realize like, oh, wow, yeah, I never, (laughs) I never could have contributed to my salvation. It's all him. And that turns you to praise again. Mm. Um, because I mean, think about the seraphim. I mean, as far as we can see, that's their job. They love to do it. You know, they they don't get tired. Say, oh, can we have a different job now? <laughs> you know, no, they yeah. they love praising God, and they they say it all the time: "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts." You know, it, that's just a. It's beautiful to think about. So, if, if that job isn't to blow them, like how much more should we be praising God for who He is? Yeah. They've got more going for them than we do, <laughs> except that God has bestowed so much love and favor on us because of who he is. Yeah. They're taking incredible joy in this and something that when we read it, we think, oh, this looks kind of dull. I mean, you're just flying around somebody saying the same thing over and over and over again for eternity, right? Is the idea we get (laughs) in this passage. And I mean, these are powerful, intelligent, sinless beings that God has created who get things we do not get. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they are pleased to do this. They are doing it as an act of worship you can tell that there's joy in what they're saying. There's a excitement in being able to do this and being able to be in the temple of God and to see him in his glory and to praise him and proclaim it to others to hear. It's just incredible. And I think what's interesting about this passage in verse five, this is Isaiah six, just as a reminder, you guys, of where we're at. And I really encourage you, if you're not getting this and none of us are, if you need to turn off the podcast and spend time in this passage and just really read it and absorb it, that's great. If you get done with this podcast and you're like, I need to go back. I mean, we always have our verses cited in the podcast show notes so you can go back and study things yourself. And I really encourage you, no matter where you're at in your journey, to sit in this passage for a while and to really study it 
and ask God to show you new things about himself from it and to humble you in it. Because that's the answer, knowing God better and appropriately seeing who he is and who you are. That's like the answer for everything. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if you can just sit there and understand this deeper and more fully, it will benefit your spiritual life. It will benefit your physical life and your mental life and your emotional life too. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a good thing for you. So it can be a good thing for me. But what's interesting here is that Isaiah in verse five says, you know, what we've been talking about, woe to me for I am destroyed. Emily's version says I am ruined. And I have the, as we've talked about before, I have the Lexham English Bible, which allows you to kind of look at word roots. And here the word destroyed also has the idea of being silenced. And I think that's really interesting that it has the idea of being silenced. And then he goes on to say that he has unclean lips. And that kind of builds on that idea, right? Like he can't speak. He's silenced, even though he's saying this, which I think is kind of neat because it's like he can't help himself from speaking, you know, but he's like, I can't, I'm silenced. I can't speak because I have unclean lips and I live in the among the people. It says in the very heart of, in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King Yahweh of hosts. It's like Isaiah doesn't recognize how inappropriate it is for him to speak, how inappropriate it is for him to interact even or to respond, you know, to God until he recognizes who God is and his glory and his holiness. And then his reaction is like, I'm ended, I'm silenced, I'm ruined, like I I am too unclean to even speak. And I just think that's so interesting because what are the angels doing? They're speaking as they surround God. Like, so there's this aspect here where we're seeing God and his glory and the appropriate response to that from these angels who are sinless is to say, wow, look at him in his glory. And they're praising him. And then here's a sinful man who's also watching it. And he's like, ah, like I can't even speak, you know, because it's too much. You're too much. And we've talked about this before with Isaiah that like he could totally lead your small group. Like (laughs) Isaiah was a holy man. He was a righteous man. And this is his reaction. So this is significant. Yeah. You know, it really is. Yeah. Good points for sure. Well, then later on in Isaiah is one of our next passages. So that's Isaiah 57 verse 15. And Isaiah is speaking for the Lord now. It's cool because... Later on in Isaiah 6, God says, who will go for us? You know, who will I send? And he's not like, oh, man, like, you know, I just don't know what's going to happen. I need a volunteer and no one's volunteering. That's not what it was. Like, he knew it was going to happen. But Isaiah said, me, <laughs> you know, seeing seeing who God was, it just made him excited to serve. And that's a lesson for us, too, I think. Yeah. But now he's speaking for God even more. I believe he was already a prophet before that point. I'm not really sure if that was like the beginning of his prophetic career or not because there were prophecies before that, but based upon prophecy can be kind of confusing sometimes. Yeah. I mean, the book <laughs> of Isaiah isn't written really chronologically. Yeah. Um, from, I remember from studying it, like there are parts that predate things that happen before it, you know? So it could yeah. be, this is the original calling of Isaiah, but yeah, I haven't actually yeah, studied so it to see. Never know. I don't think myself. it really says it precisely anyway so yeah it is a calling of isaiah that's for sure no matter where that happened in his journey so well and it's just cool because now he's in 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 isaiah 57 he's talking here for the lord and saying for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever whose name is holy 
I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, Hmm. in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And that's really a cool way to see God describe himself there. He's telling us who he is. He dwells on a high and holy place, and he also dwells with those who are contrite and lowly of spirit. Those who aren't proud, you know, those who don't think they've got it made and they're doing God a favor by existing and doing good works or anything. They get who they are and they're humble and lowly and that turns them to the Lord. And his heart is to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And that's just really sweet. You see that in the middle of his holiness, like what he chooses to do. That's who he is. His name is holy Mm. and he doesn't have to do that. You know, he could leave us to our own devices. He would be perfectly just still to do that because that's what we deserve. But that's his heart. That's who he is and his goodness and mercy. That's what he chooses to do. What a contrast that is. I mean, that just Mm -hmm. is touching, isn't it? Isaiah talks about God being high and exalted. Mm -hmm. He lives forever. His name is holy. He dwells on high in a holy place, you know, like, all these things are showing how removed God is from us. Like he's so far, he's so high, he's mm-hmm. so holy, he's so amazing, he's so exalted. And then Isaiah says he lives in those places and also with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. So he can revive those spirits yeah. and revive those hearts. And I'm just like, what? Like that doesn't that doesn't follow. You know, that's not the natural progression of that sentence and like it's touching, isn't it, to think about that, to really understand that God and really Isaiah is speaking from experience I think here too because he saw God's reaction to him when he was in the actual throne room of God and how he felt so lowly, understood rightly who he was before God. And God's reaction was to to purify him in that moment and then to invite him to serve him. And he revived him, he was in that situation, and he revived the the spirit of Isaiah to serve him. And, and it's just so interesting to see God's heart. I mean, again, holiness is one of the things about God that we can study. And he is absolutely 100% holy, and he is holy all the time. But then he's also a God who has mercy And he's also a God who loves and has compassion. Mm -hmm. And he's a God who is meek and he seeks to bind up the brokenhearted. You know, this is an incredible God that we serve. And I just, man, that passage just hit me like, what a contrast between the beginning and the end of that verse. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Like this is one other reason why we need the Old Testament is because we get Mm -hmm. to see a lot of God's heart and character. And I think a lot of people tend to think, well, no, I don't want to read the Old Testament because of all the genealogies and all the law. And there's like really bloody parts that I don't like and all that. But really, we need the Old Testament to understand who God is and then to even appreciate the New Testament more because we get to see God's holiness is really established a lot in the Old Testament. And then we can see his mercy in the New Testament more as well. We see it a lot in the Old Testament as well, but yeah, and very important testament to read. So don't give yes. up on the Old Testament for, by any means. Well, it's the foundation of our faith. I mean, you, yeah. can't, you cannot get away from it. It's quoted by New Testament authors. It's quoted by Jesus. It was something that was needed to 
usher in an understanding, correct understanding of who God is and who we are so that we are ready for the Messiah. So like Mm -hmm. you, you are incomplete in your understanding of God and the Bible if you are reading only, you know, a fourth of it by reading in the New Testament. Most of the Bible is the Old Testament and it is well worth our time. And honestly, I feel like some of the biggest big God passages that we get in scripture come from the Old Testament. There are some of the New Testament too, obviously, especially in Revelation, but you're looking at this passage in Isaiah and you're seeing God contrasted with the sinful humanity that he is bent on saving. And it's incredible. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And it puts in more clear understanding the passages that we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament about how devastating it is to the Lord when we fall away from him, when we choose sin, when we choose slavery and idolatry Mm -hmm. over a relationship with him, over a right understanding of who he is and service to him. I mean, we've got to spend time in the whole counsel of God's word. And the Old Testament has so many amazing passages like this one. It's Mm -hmm. definitely worth our time. Amen. Yeah, a lot of these passages we're referencing today are from the Old Testament. And the next one is Habakkuk. Uh, That's not one we often go to, is it? (laughs) But we should. Katie and I have been doing a study on it. Yeah, I was doing it. And then Emily started doing a study with someone else. She started cheating on me in our Bible study. We were doing it. (laughs) Yeah, we were doing it together. And then you started cheating on me by doing a Bible study with someone else. And I mean, I can do more than one Bible study. Well, apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) I blame you. We'll argue about this later. (laughs) Do you remember how you actually say Habakkuk, though? It's like Habakkuk. Yeah, it's like Habakkuk. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if she was just adding that (gasps) emphasis there. That's amazing. Because I think we're actually not sure how to pronounce it. What a missed opportunity for you if you've already had your children and named them. What a missed yeah. opportunity. But those of you who are just starting out, I'm sure large. you're shaking your heads at home. Like, man, why didn't I do that? Write down this name for the future. Uh, we should actually get back into that Habakkuk study, though, because that was really yeah, good. Yeah, we should. And I really liked it. Yeah. All right. We'll do it. You're so behind anyway, me, so you have to Read Habakkuk. <laughs> Look Habakkuk to avoid chapter the issue one, here. verse 12a, <laughs> and then actually 13a is what, is what we're going to read. So the first half of these two verses. Um, it says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And then down in 13, your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Again, that's God's holiness. His mm-hmm. eyes are too pure to approve evil. So ours should be too. We should not approve of evil. There's mm-hmm. a way to do that. You know, you don't have to be a jerk, <laughs> but but whenever we see evil, we should run from that. Mm-hmm. And don't be hospitable to sin. Don't be hospitable to evil. That's something we need to shut the door on for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, God cannot look on wickedness with favor. And so when we are living sinful lifestyles, that grieves the Holy Spirit and it, that hurts God. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that more in application as well. But I think yeah. it's worth saying here too. Just remember that's who God is, and it's by His His merit that we are able to come and draw near to Him. Mm-hmm. He gives us that ability. He's paved the way for us. Um, so just remember that. I just think that that's convicting. That passage, you know, when we when we really sit down and consider our own lives, our own habits, what we allow ourselves to think through the day, 
what we allow ourselves to listen to, to watch, to mm-hmm. read, the conversations we participate in. I think if we were thinking about God's holiness, if we were picturing the throne room of heaven as Isaiah saw it, and understanding that his eyes are too pure to approve evil, and that he cannot look on wickedness with favor, and then we also understood that he's with us. If we're believers, he is indwelling us through the Holy Spirit, and we are carrying him into those situations and conversations. I mean, that's that's convicting, you know? Yeah. I. I feel like there's so many little things that are even coming to mind right now, like music, uh, YouTube videos I've watched, you know, movies, books I've read, like not even crazy, crazy things, obviously, by even not the world standards, but like other Christian standards. You know, if I'm judging myself in holiness by what others are allowed to do or what others do, then I would feel pretty good about where I'm at. I'm pretty conservative in my convictions because... I know I've learned through trial and error to be really intentional about what I expose myself to because of sin that I'm tempted by. But even with how careful I am, I have truing up to do in this area. And I can Mm -hmm. see that reading these passages. Like when you really consider, as you were saying, like not other people and how holy they are or how we think, how they think they are and comparing ourselves to them. But instead, if we are comparing ourselves to God and who he is, and who our actual model is, then suddenly these little, you know, happy little sins that we participate in, um, the poison that we wrap up in, in cake, you know, and in candy and act like it's not that big of a deal because we just think it's harmless entertainment or it's, uh, you know, how are we supposed to live in the world and not understand what's going on in pop culture? Or I just really like that artist or whatever, you know, we were deluding ourselves. Mm-hmm. We serve a holy God and he cannot look on wickedness with favor. We should not either. Mm-hmm. Even if it comes really funny or even if it comes with a great beat or even <laughs> if it comes in, you know, a great love story that you want to be able to watch or read or whatever. Yeah. You know, God's eyes are too pure to approve evil and ours should be too as his followers, as his children, as those who are taking him with us wherever we go. Yeah. Amen. And if we don't care about what God cares about, then that should be really sobering and a a scary thing, you know? Like, oh, well, why don't I care? (laughs) Why don't Mm -hmm. I care that God hates what I am loving right now? You know, I think that that should be something to ponder and think through if that's where you're at right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a child of God should be, obviously we fail, but we should be characterized by wanting to please him and wanting to um, make the right choices out of love for him. Um, So just something to think about. And it's got to be hurtful to our Savior when he died for us to Mm -hmm. free us from sin. And we turn around and choose it. Yeah. And we say, well, this is okay because, you know, it's not as bad as it could be. Or, well, I think it's safe to watch this because I'm I'm a Christian and I feel comfortable with where I'm at spiritually or whatever. I mean, that's got to just crucifying him afresh, you know, like he died for that. Yeah. And why are we, why are we returning to it? Like I just, it's sobering. It really is. Yeah. Sin is not cheap. Jesus had to pay a very, very high price for it. Good thoughts. And Joshua 24, 19 is another sobering example of God's holiness in the face of sin. Again, like you have to look at 
who God is entirely and not just pick your favorite parts. <laughs> and this context here that we're about to dig into, it's Joshua talking to the Israelites, I believe before his death, and warning them of what would happen if they cease following the Lord. He had reminded them earlier in chapter 24 about how God had worked in the past to make himself known to them. He delivered them from enemies and he had been leading them so faithfully, you know, like just reading all about Exodus and what happened after that is just really amazing. The patience of our Lord with them and with us. Joshua then gave them a really stern warning in verses 19 and 20. It says, then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. I think even here we can see God's love. This is being addressed to Israel, but today we can apply it as well. If we are running after things that are bad for us, God disciplines us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to pursue these things that are never going to satisfy. They're never going to fulfill you. They're just going to harm you. And so he will then turn and do you harm, it says. Well, this is, again, for Israel. But this is really showing God's holiness again. He's not like, oh, look how cute they are disobeying again. (laughs) They're so silly. You know, like this is a really serious thing. Mm. He's a holy God and he's jealous. Israel is God's bride. And it's not cute when a spouse is unfaithful, right? That's, That's horrible. It's heartbreaking. And that's how it is when we pursue idols instead of the Lord. So it's an important passage to know and it helps us to understand more about God because we're supposed to take all of him together. We can't Mm -hmm. just say, I don't like thinking about his holiness. I don't like thinking about his justice. I do like thinking about his mercy and love. And like when he gives me nice things, you know, we can't just pick our favorite attributes. And I would say we can even appreciate those quote unquote, nicer sounding attributes without really first understanding his holiness. Yeah. He absolutely cannot approve of sin, like we just read in Habakkuk. He cannot approve of sin. And when we willfully choose sin, he's not going to act like that's okay. And that's out of love for us. And again, why? Because our sins demand a blood sacrifice. We can't beg our way out of that one. That's the demand of sin. It's it's blood. And God sent the perfect sacrificial lamb, Jesus, because of his love and his holiness. So we have to remember that. It wasn't just love being displayed at the cross. It was also holiness and and mercy and justice. And that's who God is. So that helps us to understand him more and hopefully see his viewpoint on these things a little more. Our response to God's holiness should obviously be repentance Mm -hmm. because none of us are ever going to be able to to really see God's holiness and not need to repent. (laughs) We just, we all need to repent constantly. But I think to... Our purpose in talking about holiness and daily living, because God has called us to that, and we'll get into that hopefully more next week, is not to fill you with dread or guilt or discouragement. It should be the opposite. It should be you seeing God and his purity, God and his holiness, recognizing your own sin should bring about conviction and repentance, but it should also bring about incredible joy and incredible gratitude incredible thankfulness that God and his love and mercy died for that sin so that you would no longer be separated from him. When we serve God, it's out of joy, right? If we are his slaves, 
but we are his slaves happily. I mean, this is a blessing to serve a holy God, Mm -hmm. to serve a righteous God. And it's really something we need to remember and to ponder because if God lays his finger on something in our life that doesn't please him, it's not pleasing the spirit. When that happens, and we should be willing, obviously, to give it immediately to him because nothing should ever stand in the way of our relationship with God and our peace with him. But that should be a joy to us. And that is a joy to us. I mean, we have to give things up for the Lord frequently. And that's not this like discouraging duty where you are longingly looking after, you know, whatever you had to let go of, you know, if that's where your heart is at, you need help getting out of that because that is not a correct way to handle jettisoning sin out of your life. Okay. The correct response is one of repentance and humility and thankfulness and a rededication of your life to God. Right. And so I want to encourage you, like, don't let something like that stand between you and God. A. B. If he lays his finger on it, you give it immediately to him because there is no life that is worth living separated from him and doing things that displease him. And lastly, like just being willing to pursue holiness with joy, recognizing that this is our end goal, right? It's not like we need to get as dirty as we can on earth because in heaven, we're going to be clean forever. Like, you know, we're heading for total regeneration. God says he will make us like Jesus. Like he is bringing about that work in us. If we are believers who have accepted the free death of his son for our sins. If we have done that, if we've repented and given our lives to God and known that we could never get to heaven on our own, that it can only be through Jesus as we see in his word. If that's something we've done, then we now have the spirit living in us and he is making us more like Jesus each day. Mm-hmm. If we're you know, participating with the spirit, which is also a question, right? Yeah. And so I just want to encourage you guys that this should not be a sorrowing time, or if it is sorrowing, it should be short, you know, give those things away, jettison that cargo, trust the Lord for how he's going to take care of you with the absence of that, put on the new man, as we're told in scripture, after you put off the old, right? Spend your time in the word, spend your time meditating on these passages to help you fight that pull of sin in your life. And do this with joy. This is exciting. It's exciting to see God picking away parts of our sinful nature and replacing it with his holiness. I mean, that's a blessing. Yeah. Amen. Well, that's a good way to kind of segue into our closing for today too, I think, which is Psalm 99. We'll be reading verses three through five and then eight and nine. And these verses really show us God's forgiveness and holiness together. And it's just a good reminder Again, like looking at God holistically, who he is entirely in every aspect. So verse three starts us out saying, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Hmm. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Right there, you can see the application of us looking at God. Praise. It's exaltation. It's praise. It's worship. And then down in verse 8, O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. So there we see God's forgiveness, and yet his avenging of evil together. So he is a forgiving God, but he also is a holy God. Mm. And then verse 9 closes and says, Exalt the Lord our God 
and worship at his holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. And so in the midst of that, when we see God's holiness and we see his forgiveness, that should just drive us back to praise and to remember who he is and to worship him for who he is, not ourselves. (laughs) Don't worship yourself, but to worship God and use all of these things to look at him rather than ourselves. And that's just, I think that's a good reminder in the midst of all of this. God is forgiving and he is holy and he's good. He's worthy of praise. Yeah. Amen. And really when he convicts you of sin and when he draws you back to himself, it's because he knows he loves you too much to let you sit there because it's not good for us. Sin is not good for us. It doesn't matter how watered down we think it is. You know, you take a deadly poison. It really doesn't matter how much Kool-Aid you put it in. If you drink that full amount of poison, like it's going to produce illness, it's going to produce death. Right. And I think sometimes as uh, Christians, we're just consuming large glasses of Kool-Aid that are poisoned you know, because we mm-hmm. think we're fine and everyone else is doing it. And even other believers are doing it. So it won't have any effect on me, but you know, our dad is a really good example of sin and how detrimental it is and how really like a more uh, authentic way of viewing it as humans. He talks about if you have a motorhome or an RV, which we grew up with lots of RVs because we were missionaries, we were on the road a lot. He talks about like, you know, the dark water tank on an RV, which if you have a toilet on board is like the tank, all the waste goes into. And you're just like, this is disgusting. Yes, that's <laughs> the point. Okay. <laughs> uh, the dark water tank's pretty nasty and you have to empty it every once in a while. So you can keep using the toilet. And my dad talks about like, as an illustration for sin, the idea of someone who's out working with his dark water tank and his RV and not that far away is a picnic table with a nice dinner laid out and these lovely glasses of lemonade there that his wife just made and had out on the table and they're all ready to eat dinner. He was just going to empty the tank real quick and then wash his hands and come eat with them. Well, as he's wrestling that hose and getting things done for emptying the dark water tank, a tiny, tiny little speck, a tiny little drop of human waste from that dark water tank hose flies through the air and lands with a little plop in one of the glasses of lemonade. (laughs) Okay. Mm. (laughs) And you look at that glass of lemonade and no one in their right minds is going to be like, oh, I don't mind. I'll drink it. It's just a little bit. (laughs) It's just a little bit. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Ew, it's just no. a little bit like no be way. <laughs> I mean, you're going to pour it out. You're going to bleach the glass. Then you're going to wash it four times and you might even throw the glass away depending on who you are. <laughs> you know, there's no way that even a little bit of disgusting human waste like that is okay. Even mm-hmm. if it's in a giant glass of lemonade, right? It's disgusting. And we need to stop acting like human waste the things that we're feeding on from this world, we just stop acting like it's all right because mm-hmm. it comes in this glass of sugary water, right? Like it's not all right. It looks and nice. we serve a holy God. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like, we need to just really consider these things biblically. And I think that's really significant that God talks about in this passage through the Psalms. He says that he's an avenger of our evil deeds. Like it's not the idea of people doing you know evil against us. It's the idea of us doing evil. And yeah. you know he's an avenger of that. Like he he won't let us get away with it because it's deadly. It's going to kill us. Like he knows that and he understands mm-hmm. that, and he loves us too much to leave us there. Yeah. Amen. 
Lord willing, we're going to get into this a little bit more next week and talk about some more of the application. We went into some of it, but tried to really spend most of our time just looking at God and his holiness in these passages. And I just want to encourage you guys, like if there's resistance in your heart right now to this, if you're thinking of something that came to mind, but you're not willing to get rid of it, I just want to encourage you to spend some serious time with the Lord and confess that to him and confess your reluctance and ask him for the strength and the help to surrender those things and give it to him. It might mean a TV show you really enjoy that you just can't watch anymore. You know, it could mean an album you really enjoy or an artist you really enjoy that you just shouldn't be listening to anymore. It could mean a series of books that you really like or someone you follow on social media or a friend maybe that it just continues to be a negative influence in your life and you need to intentionally take steps away from that friendship because they're not honoring the Lord and it's not having a good effect on you. And sometimes that's a difficult decision to make. Like, how do you quantify that? Right? Because we live with the world and we are working and interacting and all that, but you being salt and light in someone's life, you sharing Christ with them is very different from being bosom best friends with someone who is an enemy of God and is rebellious to him in all their ways. And, you know, there's a difference there. What uh, fellowship is light with darkness? You know, we have no fellowship in that regard. We're to be in the world, but not of it. And it shouldn't be easy for an unsafe person to be good friends with you. It should be difficult because you are a follower of Christ who is living a holy life and is speaking the truth to them about where they're at out of love. And so these are just things to consider, things to pray through, ways that we can go through our own heart, our own motivation, our own free time. You know, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Uh, it's important for us to get trued up to God and to be willing to to dig deep and to do that in a way that is faithful to his word so that we can be in closer relationship with him and glorify him. So I hope that's a blessing to you. I hope it's a time of you just digging in and getting closer to your savior. I know this has been a needed thing for me, a needed time to stop and reflect. Yeah, same here. It's always sobering to think about. Mm -hmm. Well, ladies, we're going to let you go. So you can go do that. <laughs> so we can go do that. And uh, we love you. And Lord willing, we'll be back with you next week. Bye. Bye.